0: Thank you, Steve, and the rest of the team for leading us in worship, and um, it's now uh, my privilege to open up God's Word in just a moment, but before we do that, though, I want you to pull out your worship notes if you got that this morning when you came in. Here you go, Steve. That's you. <laughs> if you got one of those when you came in this morning, I want to just point out a couple of things to you this morning before we get started in our time in God's Word. So when you came in the door this morning, you should have got uh, what we call our worship notes, and on the back side, I want to highlight two things. First of all, know that starting next week, we will be uh, moving into a series, kind of moving into our Christmas season, and what we're going to do is look at what I've identified as one, two, three, four, five, um, I'm calling them songs, and you'll see in Scripture uh, that they are just sort of expressions of, of dependence and love for the Lord that, that happened during that nativity uh, time of, of the Lord's coming to the earth, so that's going to be in the next five weeks. But below that, you see um, what we have identified there is our, the members of our pastor-elder team. I want to take a minute and talk about that. Our church is, um, we are led by a, a group of men who are biblically quali- qualified, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, to serve as elders in the, in the local church. There are two offices or roles that Scripture has uh, really described in the church, official roles of leadership. Those would be deacons and pastors or elders. Now, pastor and elder and overseer, those words are used interchangeably. And so you will, you will find at Centerpoint Bible Church that, people, that men who serve as elders are also called pastors. They could be called overseers as well. So you can see who our pastor-elder team is. And I ask you to be praying for them because we make a lot of decisions that, um, that many of them happen behind the scenes, but some of them affect what we do even in this room. So our, our elder team is made up of myself. My name is Lowell, and I get to serve as the lead pastor here, and it's a privilege to do that. We also have our connecting pastor, Billy Hearn, as I said. He's the, he's the one that's online right now, and um, he's suffering with COVID, but doing well. Then we have um, three other men who, who serve as pastors at our church, Brock Kepley, Roger Hendershot, and Steve Dobson. You just saw Steve. There's Steve. He's one of our, one of our pastors. But well, if you've been with CenterPoint for any amount of time, you might notice that there's a name that's typically on that list that's not there, and that is Tim Anglis. So I'm going to ask Tim to come on up here right now. So Tim's been serving on our Pastoral elder team since the very early days of CenterPoint. you got 12 years of experience with this, right, Tim? Yeah. And so uh, after that 12 years, um, Tim prayerfully uh, decided that he needed a break. And, um, and we certainly have appreciated his ministry, but we also recognize that I always say to the guys, when you serve in the church, it's not a lifetime sentence. It's not like I'm always going to be an elder and you know, I, can never, I can never take a break or a deacon for that matter. And so Tim's been serving as a pastor elder at our church and, and he's going to be just taking a break from that right now. But I just really wanted to take a moment in front of our body uh, with our church to just thank you for your ministry. Um, Tim's been a faithful friend and a faithful partner. In many ways, he's been operating as our treasurer and our financial secretary, and those, many of those things will, will continue. But he's also been serving as a pastor elder. And just in recognition of his ministry, I really want to give you a gift today, Tim. And um, I think this gift, uh, to some people, this gift would mean nothing. But I think for you, um, it will mean something significant. Um, so what we have here, I'll show it to them first. What I have here is is a page out of a Bible that was published in 1704. And um, it's significant what page it is. It happens to be from Joshua chapter 1, which I know is Tim's life verse. And so, Tim, I want to give this to you from Center Point Bible Church. And I just hope that this will be a reminder of our thankfulness for how you served. And here's what we've written on it. It says, in honor of your faithful service, Tim Anglis, we thank you for your years of dedication and ministry as pastor-elder. Your ministry was essential in the launch, establishment, growth, and development of Centerpoint Bible Church. Your consistent example of serving, humility, and joy in serving the Lord and His body of believers has been a blessing to many. And I have a quote here that's on this uh, leaf from this 1704 King James Bible, Joshua 1, 8, and 9, which I know is Tim's life verse, and this is what it says. This book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, 8, and 9, on behalf of the Centerpoint Bible Church, Pastor Lowell McDonald. Thank you, Tim, for your ministry and your partnership, you. and so forth. You want to say something, yeah, sure? First of all, I, I want to say thank, thank you very much for this. Uh, it has been my honor and, priv- and privilege to serve as a pastor here for the last twelve years uh, in the Centerpoint family. Um, but even though my role at Centerpoint is ending, my joy of serving has not ended, and I will continue to serve as, as Pastor Lord mentioned in, in many in different capacities. So. So thanks again. Thank you, Tim. You've been a blessing and a friend. Thank you. Make sure you thank Tim for his ministry. Um, You know, there's a lot of things Tim's done behind the scenes, and he'll continue doing those things, I've already said. But um, it's, it's a great joy to serve the Lord. And listen, I don't know where you are right now in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I want to challenge you before I get started that you are meant for more than just living for this world. You're meant for a greater purpose. And that purpose shows itself in many arenas. One of them is the church. It's also the world that you operate in, the community that you live in, the the circle of influence that you have. Take advantage of those opportunities. Well, I'm going to take off this mask now. Check, check. There it is. All right, good. Hey, open up your Bible to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. So pull out your app or open up your Bible and find the book of Romans. It's towards the back. On my Bible, it's on page 1749, Romans chapter 8. And uh, where you are joining us today, whether you're online or in purpose, you're online or here, that is, in presence, um, you're joining us on the fourth of a four-week series that we've been asking a question. And the question that we've been wrestling with is, what is God doing? What is God doing? We started this series before our national election even occurred. And we started out with just uh, answering the question of, what is God doing through the government? Through the government here in in the United States of America. And we looked at, what does the Bible have to say about government? We moved on to a little broader of a question, and that is, what is God doing in the world? And then last week, we, we brought it to home a little bit, said, what is God doing in us? And today, we're going to be looking at, what is God doing in your life? Today, I want to be personal for you in your personal relationship with God. What is God doing in your life? Each of these questions had an answer. We saw through our government that God is accomplishing His plan. Whether the government is aware of it or not, whether the leaders of our government are followers of Jesus or not, God does accomplish his plan through governments. He does. God calls the government his servants, believe it or not. So we said, wittingly or unwittingly, the government fulfills God's plan here on earth. Next, we talked about the world. What is God doing in the world from Romans 11? And where we landed at there is what God is doing in the world is glorifying himself. The Lord is shining the light on his goodness and showing us how good and how great he is. And then last week we asked the question, what is God doing in us? As as a body of believers, as a group of followers of Jesus, what can we be confident in that God is doing in us? Here's what we said last week, that God is convincing us and demonstrating to us that his love for us is sure. We have a secure love. So we can join God in what He's doing. As His sons and as His daughters, we join God in what He's doing. And we have His secure love. But today where we're going is what is God doing in you? And you and I need to know one truth today. And it's that God is helping us. God is coming along and helping us. Now, it's important to know when you need help. It's, very, it's a very important life skill to know when you need help and to seek it. There was a Saturday night years ago when I still had four children at home. They're all raised and gone now. But there was a Saturday night where I think one of my children went into the bathroom to do whatever it is they needed to do in there. And they said, Daddy, the shower is spraying weird water or something like that. And I go in and there, was, there were issues with our shower. And I thought, well, I can fix this. I mean, I own a pipe wrench, so I can probably fix this. Now, mind you, it's Saturday night. I got to get up on Sunday morning and preach a sermon and come to church and do whatever it is was going on at that time. But that's okay. I rolled up my sleeves, got my pipe wrench, got my crescent wrench, went to screwdriver and got to work. Tore the whole front of the shower off and I'm, I'm back in there, you know, with these brass fittings, doing all these things, trying to, quote, fix it, Right? had YouTube videos, I'm watching all along, you know, trying to figure out how to, what am I gonna do to, to fix this problem. Don't worry, family, dad is here, I've got it, right? Well, before long, actually, it was a long time, I finally was willing to admit, I, I can't do this. I gotta call somebody, we need water tonight. So I went to the Yellow Pages or Google, I don't know what I did, but I found a plumber and found him, and, and this old guy comes to my house. I appreciate it, he showed up that evening. And in he comes with his tools and and his knowledge, that was the most important part, his knowledge. He gets in there, and, you know, he's fooling around back there behind the wall, you know, fixing the shower. And he's talking to me the whole time, like, you know, now what is it you do? Like, oh, I'm I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. And he's working. And what did you do in here? And I'm like, well, I was trying to loosen that thing and trying to tighten that thing and trying to fix thing. Okay. And what tool did you use? And I showed him my big pipe wrench. I was proud. I have two. Two pipe wrenches. Showed him both of them. So finally, he got the thing fixed. And we're wrapping up. And, you know, I write him a a big check. You know, it's it's expensive to show up on a Saturday evening. I'll never forget. He stopped right before he walked out the door. I got it written down because I I didn't want to forget it. He said, Pastor, how about in the future? You stick to preaching the sermons why let me take care of the plumbing and hand me a card, you know, I'm like, okay, I get the message. I get the message. You know, it's important to know when you need help. Right? And it's important to know where to go for that help. You know, I, I want to just break some news to you. All is not well in this world. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. I would say that in 2019 all is not well in this world that is a lie this world is futile that's what the bible says about this world it is futile it is cursed by god because of sin so all is not well here and you know that you experience the the effect of that You're living in this futile world that's cursed by sin, that's filled with other sinners just like you and me, and you're experiencing the impact and the challenge of this world. Now, things might be going well for you right now, maybe, but they're not guaranteed to stay there. And even if from an outsider looking in, things may be going well. If you've been doing this for any amount of time at all, you know that internally we can struggle asking questions like, does God even know what's happening? Is he even aware? Does he care what I'm going through? Is there a purpose in my life? Is there a bigger plan? Where are you, God? Are you going to help me? It's not uncommon when we're in times of challenge like we have been going in. This isn't new. Okay, what, what our country and world is experiencing since March of 2020, it's not new to have a challenge. Now, this may be unprecedented and different. But listen, humans have always struggled. And when they do, it's not uncommon for people to gather other people around them and say, we need to cry out for God's help. Hmm. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to see a a very important set of verses inside of maybe the most important part of your Bible, quite honestly. Romans chapter 8 is a tremendous chapter of Scripture. And we're going to look at, we're going to really narrow down on three verses today and understand what it is that they have to say to us. And listen, this is the thesis statement of these verses, all right? I'll put it on the screen. The thesis statement of, of this section of Scripture, and then we're going to read it, is this is that God uses everything in His children's lives for His good purpose. Now listen, I have selected every one of those words intentionally to to reflect the meaning of this passage. And I want us to understand this today and come to grips with the reality of it. So let's read together. I'll read it out loud. You follow along. I'm going to start at verse number 26 in chapter 8 and read to the end. Verse number 26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's a great truth. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. Too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified now in the middle of that verse number 28 is a is a great truth And before I get into this, I want to warn us that you may not really understand what this passage is teaching. You need to be aware of that. You likely, if you are like most Americans today, probably don't have a proper understanding of these sets of phrases. Look at verse number 28. And we know that for those who love God, here it comes, all things work together for good. That's the phrase. All things work together for good. Why, that would be a great poster, wouldn't it? All things work together for good. We could put it on the wall, like in the locker room, where football teams, when they go out, could slap it. Everybody, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Hoorah, let's go out there and play this game. And people do that. And then they think, well, that means we're going to win the game. Or, I guess for us, that means we're going to have the game. Those of you who don't know, games have been canceled this weekend. Or or we're going to win the championship. Really? Do do you really believe that's what the Holy Bible, the Word of God is here to say? That don't you worry all things are going to work out for good. You're going to win? Your business is gonna, it's gonna it's gonna flourish. Your marriage is gonna work out, your kids are gonna love Jesus, your your investments are gonna skyrocket, your house is gonna be fine, your car's gonna run, you're gonna hit green lights. Don't you worry. Why there'll be a parking place for you right at the door. If you've been around Christendom, if you've been around what's called Christianity for very long, you know that this morning there are people standing in front of groups of people. Telling them not to worry. Everything always works out for good. I mean, look at my life. I have a jet or I have this. or It's all going to work out for good. They said, that is not what this passage is teaching. This is one of the most misinterpreted passages in the whole Bible. It's up there at the top of the list. We need to know what is God saying to us. Now, remember, I'm telling you today that the thesis statement of this section of scripture is this god uses everything in his children's lives for his good purpose so let's the way we're going to work through this passage is we're going to ask a series of questions don't always do it this way but this morning that's how we're going to handle it and the first question is this who is god helping The passage says in verse number 26 that that the Spirit of God is helping someone. So let's ask the question: who is God helping? It's pretty important to know that. Verse 26, let me read it for you. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, let me let me just cut right to the chase. Who is God helping? Here's the answer to the question. God is helping exclusively, and it is limited to his sons and daughters. That's it. That's who it is that this passage is teaching that God helps. This is an important reality for us. It may be an important reality for you today. Why, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't have Christ as your substitute, giving you righteousness and life, I can offer you no hope from God. I can offer you no help from God. God's help is for his sons and daughters. Let me show you that in the passage. We're going to see here the way that that the people that God helps are described are with two phrases. Those who love God and those who are called by God. Let me show it to you. First of all, those who love God. So we, we see how he helps people in their weaknesses. We'll get back there in just a minute. Verse number 27, he searches hearts. We'll get there in just a minute. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. We'll talk about that because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. We'll talk about that. But verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, the first qualification for receiving the help of God, is you must love God. Now you might say, well, I thought everybody loved God. I mean, come on, what is there not to love about God? Listen, that is not what the Bible teaches. Everybody doesn't love God. God's help is available to those who love Him. But let me tell you a reality that Scripture shares with us. It's this. Only regenerated people, only people who have been born again, only people who put their trust in Christ love God. All other people, all people who are outside of Christ are incapable of loving God. They cannot love God. We only love God because He first loved us, 1 John 4. So without the love of God in our lives... We cannot love God back. So this qualification of the help of God is limited to those who love God. Let me show you that here in the book of Romans. Turn back two pages. If you have your Bible or go with your app to Romans chapter 5. Go to Romans chapter 5. Let's see this. Let me, let me convince you from the word of God. Don't take it from me. See it from God's word. Romans 5 verse number 5. Look where we start here on our, on our quick Romans journey to see who it is that loves God. Romans 5.5 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame. So there is a hope that we can have in Christ where there is no shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Spirit of God is given to those who put their trust in Jesus. First Corinthians 12 says that he indwells believers and when he indwells believers he puts a love for God in their hearts. See this love that we're speaking of only comes as a result of God doing a supernatural miracle in our hearts. That's not all that it says. Turn over a page to Romans 8. Go back to Romans 8. Look at verse number 7. It actually gets a little bit worse. It's going to get a little bit worse our bad news. Romans 8, verse number 7, look what this says. It's speaking of people that either have their mind on the flesh or their mind on the spirit. It's another way to describe believers and unbelievers. And it says, for the mind that is set on flesh, on the flesh, that's a, word, that's a phrase that is identifying those who have not put their trust in Christ. Their mind is set on the flesh. That isn't your skin. It's the part of you that wants to sin. And when our mind is set on the flesh, if we're described as being, have a mind set on the flesh, look what it says. For the mind that is set on the flesh is, what is it, hostile to God. Outside of Christ, we hate God. We don't love Him. We hate Him. Who is He to tell me what I should or shouldn't do? Who is He to tell me that what is sin and what is not sin? Who is he to tell me what is right or what is wrong? Who is he to tell me that Jesus alone is the path to God? Outside of Christ, we hate God. Now that's important for us today in answering the question, who is God helping? First of all, back to Romans 8, verse number 28, it is those who love God. And the second thing that we see here is it's is those who are called, who are called Now, what does that mean? See it there in Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those. So this is all working together for good. This this help that's coming to people, sons and daughters, is for those who have been called according to his purpose. Now, let's understand what that means. Go to verse number 30. It, It describes it clearly in verse number 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. There's our word. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here's what this means. Before the foundations of the world, God predestined people. God chose people before the foundation of the world and said, I am going to bring you into relationship with me. This happened in eternity past. That's called predestination. It's described there in Romans 8. Then it moves forward to this moment of calling, calling. I hope and I trust that there was a time in your life when the Spirit of God worked in your heart and He called you to Himself. He said, this is true. You are a sinner. Turn from your sin and turn to Me. That's called called in the Bible. He called you to Himself. So He predestined. He called you at that moment. And when you responded by faith to His offer of salvation, then it says here, He justified those people. What does that mean? Justified is an instant decision. Boom. And what happens is you are credited with the righteousness of God. God doesn't say, okay, now you earn it. You be good enough. God says, I give you the credit of all righteousness. You have in your bank account the credit of righteousness. The word for that is justification. So a predestined, called, justified, and then he will glorify. This is in heaven. One day when we're with God, we'll be like Jesus. These are the people that God has called. People who are in relationship with him. When it says in Romans 8, 28, this is for those whom God has called according to his purpose. It's talking about his sons and daughters. So listen, who does God help? Exclusively, his sons and daughters. Invariably, when there's some type of a you know a national emergency or a local emergency, we'll bring up some politician or or maybe some athlete or actor, and they'll stand up in front of a camera and they'll say, "We need to ask God for help." God does not promise any help in that moment. As a matter of fact, listen to Psalm chapter 66, verses 18 through 19. This is Psalm 66, 18 and 19. The psalmist writes, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Here's a a reality that might sound unloving, but it would be more unloving for me not to explain this clearly. Outside of Jesus, there is no guarantee that God will respond to your prayer. If you're not in Christ today, there is God makes no guarantee, He makes no promise that He will respond to your prayer. That's a heavy reality. But we have to understand it. We're working our way to verse number 28, and it's a great truth in verse number 28 that I want to get us to today. But we have to understand that this whole passage is built upon a reality that His help comes to his sons and daughters let's go back to verse number 27 so look at it with me verse 26 that is why here's the second question why is help even needed i mean why do we need help i'm a pretty capable guy right i mean i got a pipe wrench right i can fix my shower why do i need any help hmm Oh, we're so prideful. I did not want to call that plumber. I didn't want to do it, you know? I don't want to pay him. I don't want him in my house working on my shower. I want my wife to see that I can fix it. I'm that kind of a man, right? Oh, we're so proud. Okay, look what the passage says about us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Let me just stop there. Why is help needed? because our judgment is faulty. We This passage says that we are weak. God the spirit helps us in our weakness. And let me explain this clearly. This does not indicate a weak moment. This is not a promise that when you have a weak moment that God's spirit will come. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about your status, your state That you, as human beings, sons and daughters now, even as sons and daughters of God, you are living in a weakened state. If you're honest with yourself, you can see that. Even though you're forgiven, you still struggle with your heart. You still struggle with your mind. You still struggle with your eyes. You still struggle with your tongue. It comes out of you in crankiness, in lust, in gossip. These things are all there, I know. You say, how do you know, Lowell? Because I know it's in me too. Our state is a status of weakness. And God helps us in that weakness. You know what? The news goes from bad to worse. Look at how the Spirit of God describes that weakness. Excuse me, I don't think this is COVID. I just need a drink. says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That's a pretty bad state. We don't even know what to pray for. So we're here in this futile world, cursed by God because of sin, surrounded by people who hate God, and we don't even know how to pray. We don't know what to even ask for. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know what we ought to pray for. <laughs> so in the moment of, that we experience our weakness, we're not sure how to pray. And beyond that, we don't know what we ought to pray for. And it goes worse. It gets worse. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, we don't even know our hearts The Spirit of God is very aware of our heart and loves you even though your heart will lie to you. Your heart will convince you that you want something that will only destroy you. Your heart will convince you that you've got to have something that is opposed to everything God says that you should have. Your heart will betray you. But the Spirit of God knows the hearts. And what's more, look what it says there. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. This is God. We don't know the mind of God. We don't know the mind of the Spirit. And if you read a little further, it says, The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we don't know the will of God. So look at how weak we are. Our state of weakness is great here. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know what we ought to pray for. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts will betray us. We don't know the mind of God. We don't know the will of God. We are a a desperate people. In need of a good God, but he promises help to his sons and daughters because we need it. Because our judgment is faulty. There used to be a radio personality. I was told that she's still on serious Radio, and that may or may not be true. Um, it was Dr. Laura. Anybody remember Dr. Laura on the radio? Anybody at all? Nobody. Okay, a few people. So she would ha- she had this phone-in like radio program, and you would call her and ask her relationship questions. Okay? you know, I'm in trouble with my spouse or with my girlfriend or boyfriend or my kids or my, my employer or whatever it would be. And invariably, there would be somebody who would call and they have jumped from relationship to, relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship and they're calling Dr. Laura to seek help. And she had this line that I just love. And I, and I, I might have shared it with some of you sometime and now you know the source of it. She would say this. Well, she would say, as I hear your story, it occurs to me that your picker is broken. Your picker is broken. You don't know how to pick somebody to be in a relationship with. Now, I use that illustration, and I use that example to bring home this truth. You know why we need help? Because our picker is broken. We are incapable of knowing what is good what is best and what is the help that we even need we will get so distracted so deceived and we will find ourselves chasing after something to do nothing but eat our soul our pickers are broken it's part of our faultiness as human creatures and for this reason, God brings help to his sons and daughters. Only to his sons and daughters. So let's keep going in our questions, okay? Let's keep going in our questions. Notice here before I go, I mean, there's a couple of things I, I definitely want to hit, actually. We don't know what to pray for. So the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. I want to just reference that. This idea of groaning comes up several times in this passage, and it comes up even more in the broader context of Romans chapter 8. Some of those that are maybe of a charismatic persuasion will, will try to reason that this is a, a vague reference to tongues or speaking of other languages that, that you never studied. Listen, that is not what this is. A matter of fact, it says here that they are inaudible. We cannot express them. And not only do, does the Spirit groan in this way, but the world groans, and we groan. What does that mean? Well, have you ever had a toothache, and it hurts so bad, and you're like, oh, oh, and you groan, and you're overweight of the pain. Listen, this passage says that if you are a son or a daughter, this world will cause you to groan. It will. Marriages, children, work, bosses, employees, school, COVID, and you'll groan. But if you're a son and a daughter of God, you're not alone in that groaning. The Spirit of God is groaning for you and with you and interceding to the Father for you. He feels your pain. He feels your burden. This isn't a made-up fairy tale. This is the Word of God. He groans with us, interceding on our behalf. And that gets to our next question. And it's this. It's going it's to flow out of verse 28. The question is this. So what is the help He gives? All right, We, we know that, that sons and daughters alone exclusively receive this help. We know that the reason we get it is because our judgment is faulty. So what is the help that comes our way? Look at verse number 28. And we know that for those who love God, we know what that means, right? This is exclusively the sons and daughters of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We need to drill down on that phrase, all things work together for good. What is the help he gives? I want to describe it, and I want to identify it, okay? And you have to write this on your worship notes. I didn't give you a blank for this. Sorry about that. Let's start with the description, all right? I think I have this for a slide for you so you can catch the words I'm saying. So first of all, the Spirit of God describes it. He describes the help, and look what it says. Three things are used to describe this help. It is good, it is comprehensive, and it is purposeful. It is good, comprehensive, and per- purposeful. All things work together for good. Let's start with good. The word good here is the English translation of the Greek word agathos. And agathos means this that it aligns with its purpose. God works all things together. Towards aligning all things with their purpose. God has a purpose for all things. And when all things are aligned in that purpose, it's good. So what this means is that God is taking all things and making them aligned. He's bringing them in alignment. He's overruling all things of your life and making them align toward his purpose. And he calls that purpose Good. That's what the word good means. See, that's a good chair. That means it aligns with this purpose. We can't even identify what is good. Truth is, cheeseburger, french fries, probably ain't good. Okay? Might be good to eat, but it's probably not good for me. My picker is broken. That's the first way that God describes the help he's going to bring. Okay? It's good. The second thing, now listen to this, it's comprehensive. Look here, it says, all things... All things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together. All all things is comprehensive. It includes what we would call the pleasant things. Maybe a good marriage. Maybe a small child in your arms. Maybe a new home. Maybe a new car. Maybe a new job. A beautiful sunset. It includes that. But it also includes unpleasant things, a struggling marriage, a wayward child, a home that is like, you know, dilapidated and falling down, a car that breaks down along the road, trials, struggles, tribulations, challenges, failure, sin, God uses all those things He uses all those things and works them together. See that word there, works together? You'll recognize that word. In Greek, that's the word synergy. You ever heard that word? Something is synergetic. It means you take different pieces, you put them all together, and they produce more together than they would apart. That's what that word is. God takes all things, the pleasant and the unpleasant. He brings them together and works them all together towards good. It's comprehensive. It includes the bad and the good. If you're a follower of Christ, he takes even the unpleasant things and uses them for good. That's why it is that you go to a hospital or you go to somebody and they they just had a a spouse pass away or a cousin that was murdered or whatever, and you say to them, you know, God's going to use this for good. If you don't know that they're a follower of Christ, those words ring hollow in their ear. And they ring hollow in your own heart. You know that it's not necessarily true. You know it. That kind of promise is only for sons and daughters. But he takes the unpleasant things. And he uses those often in a greater way than he does the pleasant things. He takes the unpleasant things. You know those moments when you're hurt? You know those moments when you're heartbroken? Those moments when you're discouraged? When you failed? God can use those times in a special way towards his good plan in your life. What is it about an unpleasant thing that is so powerful in our lives? It wakes us up, folks. It wakes us up. When life is unpleasant, we realize the American dream is actually the American nightmare, see? When things are unpleasant, we realize this world doesn't deliver. And if it doesn't deliver, I'm going to another world, and the other world is God, So the unpleasant things that come in our life, they they have this dynamic effect towards good in a believer's life. They reveal our weakness, our smallness, our frailty. The unpleasant things do. They destroy our confidence and our self-reliance. The unpleasant times do. Not the pleasant times. They uncover, listen, they uncover our creatureness, that we're just a creature that in reality, I have no control over this world. I could walk out of here and a piano could fall to the sky and land on top of me, right? I'm a creature. I have no control of what's happening. And they expose the simple, unpleasant things, unpleasant moments. Now hear this, I'm going to slap some of you a little bit, okay? Just hold on. The unpleasant things in our life reveal the sinfulness of our heart in this way. You got this morning and say, oh, my back hurts. My back is just killing me. Oh, I can't believe my back is... Here. Listen, what are you doing in that moment? You're grumbling. And what are you revealing? What are you revealing when we grumble? You say, well, I'm revealing my back hurts. No, you're revealing. That you're a creature. That you don't reign sovereign over your life. And you're revealing that you don't like it. That you want to reign. That you don't want your back to hurt. After all, you're king of your world. Who are you, whoever you is, to make my back hurt? See, that reveals something about our heart. And God's Spirit takes that moment. says, I'm going to chip out away. I'm gonna teach you to be patient like I am. I'm gonna teach you to be long-suffering like I am God, not me. God uses these things. He uses these things and they're purposeful. And let's get to that. Let, let's see what this purpose is just quickly. Okay, the first the first purpose that that we need to see here, that this is all working together is first of all, this, this, this good thing. So we're, we want to describe and define what it is that's good, okay? It, God's the one who defines it. How does he define it? First of all, it's intercession. We saw that all through this passage, intercession. What does that mean? It means that, that God the Spirit is appealing on our behalf. He carries our needs, if you will. He puts us on his back, metaphorically, and he carries our needs before the Father, This is what Jesus is said to do in Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 25, is our intercessor. Here the Spirit of God is saying that he intercedes for us. He carries our appeal to the Father. That's the first good thing that happens. We struggle. We don't know how to pray. The Spirit of God says, that's okay. You look to me. I will carry your needs to the Father. See, I don't know how to pray, God. I don't know how to pray. I am faulty. My picker's broke. The Spirit of God says, I know. I will pray for you. I will intercede on your behalf before the Father. See, is that possible, or is this just make-believe? I mean, do you really believe this, low? It doesn't matter if I believe it. What matters is Scripture says it, and that's why I believe it. He intercedes on our behalf. In this way, what a great truth this is! This is good for his sons and his daughters. And there's a second thing that's good. Look at it, verse number 29. You, you'll miss it if you if you don't if you don't if you don't look closely, you'll miss it. For those whom he foreknew, remember that was in eternity past. He also predestined. Here it is to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, theologians would call that sanctification. See my word there? That's what a theologian would call it. It just means to conform us to the image of Jesus. It's what God is doing in your life. It's what what is agathos in your life. It is what is good. It's aligning you with your intended purpose. You were always made to reflect God. It was always God's design for you. He wanted you to be a mirror of God's goodness. He wanted people to look at you and see the reflection of God in your life. And so God takes these pleasant and unpleasant things that come into our life, and He's conforming us to the image of God. A friend of mine were talking about this this week, and we said God takes us as like this rough stone. He picks us up as this like rough-hewn stone, okay? And He takes us, and He holds us metaphorically in His hands, and he allows things to come in our life, pleasant and unpleasant. And through these things, he's chipping off the edge of the stone, okay? He's chipping off the parts of the stone that aren't Christ-like and polishing other parts that are and making it really shine right here. Until the very end, he has this precious stone. That process is called sanctification. That's what it's called. And it's identified here in this passage as conforming us to the image of His Son. This is the good thing God is doing in your life. And for sons and daughters, I can offer you nothing better. It's the greatest thing that you can be offered. That God would make me, would hone me, would polish me to be like Jesus. Listen, you might sit here and say, I don't know if I want to be like Jesus. I mean, I, you know, I, want, I want my business to be good. I want my vehicles to run. I want my shower to be fixed. Like, that's what I want. Listen, I understand. I, I can remember being there, thinking that. Listen, that's, that's not really a measurement of your ability to determine what's right or wrong or good in your life. That's a measurement of your immaturity. I tell you that in love. The reason why you feel that way is you're still spiritually immature. And God in time will allow you to taste of this world and see that it is not good. And as he does that, he'll allow you to taste and see that he is good. And will put in you a desire to be like Jesus it's what he's doing in your life that's what we started out with what is God doing in me he's making you like Christ if you're his son if you're his daughter just to close out and this is this we will wrap up today what what is where is all this help leading well we just alluded to it it's all leading to Christ likeness and glorification That's where it's all leading. It says, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's what that means. Jesus stands before us. Behind him are are the scores, the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of believers through all of time who recognized their need for a Savior, turned to Christ, received His forgiveness, was given His Spirit, and now they stand behind Him. Him, the firstborn, the starting line, okay? He's up there in the very head of the line, and we are all reflecting Him. We're all desiring and being, being molded to look like Him. Now, not look like Him physically, I don't mean that, but look like Him in the way we think, the way we feel, and in what we do. In that way, he's the firstborn over all creation. He's the model. He's the model. This stands the test of time. And it goes into all of glory. It ends in eternity future. Okay, just closing up here, just I want to to throw three things at you. I got to wrap up here because those taking care of our kids will get a little antsy here real soon. So let me just put these up on the screen. Just ask you a couple questions, okay? First of all, Honestly, be honest with yourself. Have you allowed God to draw, to grow, that is, have you allowed God to grow a desire in you to be like Jesus? Have you allowed God to do that in your life? To fan that flame in your life that you would desire to be like Jesus? Listen, it starts where you're sitting right now. In a moment we'll pray, and if, if that's your hunger, you tell that to God. He wants you to say that. He wants you to feel that. He wants you to live that. You're His son. You're His daughter. He wants you to reflect your heavenly Father. But you've got to desire this, see? And you've got to fan it. Two other questions. First one, what can you do today? Today, now. To partner with God in His helping you, what can you do? Can you maybe be in God's Word? Maybe be around God's people? Maybe go to the Lord in prayer, asking Him to do this work? And the third question is very similar to it. What can you do today to partner with others to help in other people's lives? So what can you do to partner with God in helping others, other people who are on that same trek Now listen, I I want you to recognize today that God's help is available and present and always here for His children. I want you to rest in that truth and in that reality. That that's the kind of relationship that God has offered you and I hope you have received. And allow Him Allow Him to do this work that He desires to do and He is doing to use the pleasant and the unpleasant to bring before you as you watch Him do this work of conforming you to His Son. Let's pray together. Thank You, Lord, for Your grace. Lord, for giving us Your Word that clearly describes what it is that You're desiring to do. What You are doing And what you've done. Father those in Christ you've given them righteousness. The credit of righteousness. Lord you've made us your children. And then you've continued this work of conforming us to you. God put in us a desire for you. And a desire to see you played out in other people's lives as well. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, do us a favor before you take off. So in front of your, nearby your seat, there's a container of those sort of wet wipes thing. Can you wipe down your seat? That just really helps our, those that clean up the building make sure to take care of that. And then second thing is this. As you leave, encourage somebody today, all right? We're, we're, we're getting thin in here, so we need to spread our encouragement to one another, all right? All right, with that, you are dismissed. Have a great day.